You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. Um, I'm facing a big thing this week. Um, my husband worked 14 and 14, um, and he goes away. And um, in December, he heard his knee, and it was the best Christmas gift I could have ever gotten because he was, you know, he's been home for three months. And he has to go back to work tomorrow. And I'm really, really struggling very hard with that. But when I sang the words of this song, and in my spirit, I was just saying, God, if you're with me, I can do it. If you're with me, I can face the time that he's going to be away again of really being a single mom. And so I don't know what you're facing, because I know we all are facing something. And it's big to us. But just know that God... God can be with you. He won't force himself. He won't because he's a gentleman. But if you ask, he'll be with you. He'll give you courage where you have fear. He'll give you strength where you feel like you're weak. So I challenge you today, this week, maybe you've got something that's going to hit you this month. You don't know. But just, just stand with God on his promise that he'll be with you. Lean on that and ask him, God be with me today. God be with me. God be with me to be a good mom. God give me the strength I need to carry on. Because he'll do it. He's a good God. Amen. That's a perfect segue for us to look at Matthew 6, verse 25 together. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open that up. And... uh, I learned a long time ago, because I've been doing this a couple decades, not to worry about who this message is for, because it's always for me first. But obviously, God has a word for us here this morning. Matthew 6, verse 25, Jesus is on a hillside, and he's got his closest friends around him. And then it says, and two chapters before, as this starts, there's a sermon on the mount, on the side of this mountain and and there's like literally thousand people that gather on the side of this mountain listening to Jesus teach preach and as they're from all walks of life they're from Jerusalem they're from the Greek cities called the Decapolis they're from they're from all around they're there's shepherds there's business people they all have come and together in this one moment and Jesus is teaching them and this is kind of the of the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 6 25 is kind of what I would call crescendo of the sermon he says that is what I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food or and drink or enough clothes to wear isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing look at the birds they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them and aren't you more valuable to him than they are can all your worries add a single moment to your life and why worry about your clothing look at the lilies of the field and how they grow They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 
Hey, y'all get, you guys knew that. You guys can be seated. Thanks for doing that. That's uh, something that, that, that's part of a church culture that we're really at Awakened Church we haven't really done much of. That whole, and everybody said, and then everybody says amen. So you guys knew it. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's keeping it real. And that's kind of where I want to start this morning. Um, I was, a, a while back, I was thinking about these phrases because I was in a, uh, it was in an event. It was basically a, a pastor's event where one, they, one big pastor's preaching at all the other little pastors like me. That's how it works. And anyway, the guy who was speaking said, uh, was talking about uh, being authentic and I'm talking about culturally and the church has got to be authentic and we have to be authentic believers as, as, as Christians. And, um, and he said, we got to keep it like, like the young people say. And he looked right at me and he said, Pastor Steve, what do the young people say today? Like the church planter is supposed to know. I mean, I'm not really a young guy. I'm just, you know, but I'm like, uh, keep it 100. And it was like, I heard across the whole room murmurs like, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard him say that. I heard young people say it. Yeah, everybody said, keep it 100. And this one, this one lady said, yeah, keep it 100. That's what they all say. And I said, man, okay, <laughs> keep it real. Be, to keep it, uh, we, it used to be like, keeping it real. That was kind of back in, in my generation. Then there was like, oh, real talk. That was another one. It's like, oh, we're going to have a conversation? Real talk. And then it was like, keep it 100. In other words, keep it 100% real, 100% authentic. Um, and now I think people just say 100%. Uh, that's that's kind of shortened version of that. So the idea is just be real. And you won't have to worry about being accepted by others. Like if you just be real, just keep it 100. You don't have to worry about being accepted by others. Those who really like will be a friend to you, they will accept you. Um, just so keep it 100. That's the idea, right? So, so most people worry about something, right? I mean, don't mo- most of us worry about something? Uh, so what do you worry the most about? Let's just get some answers. Right here. I think Candace gave us, she, I didn't really say she was worried, but she said she's heading into uh, a new kind of season, and, and uh, there's a little bit tied to some family stuff when your husband works uh, away. So there's, there's one way to kind of get us started there. What else? What are some things we worry about? Your kids, absolutely. As a parent, absolutely get that. What else? Money. Grades. Money. Money. What else? Good. We got a good good list going here. What other things we worry about? People. People. We worry about them or worry about how they see us or both? Both. both? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Sacrifice. Okay. You worry about sacrificing. Like, what is it going to cost me? And if it costs me, is it, is it worth it? That's good. Good, good. Uh, as I'm getting older, I think one of the other things I would add to kids, is, then I would add to parents is that as well. As my parents get older, um, you know, this past week we lost a, a, a good friend of the family who's actually the last six years has become like a prayer partner for me. He's actually someone who went to college with my dad. So he's my dad's and my dad and mom's age, and he passed away this week. And this kind of hit me like, not only do I love this man, not only did he become a prayer partner in a big way and encouragement to me over the last six years, but he's the same age as my dad. And he just wasn't sick or anything. He just didn't wake up, which I guess that's the way to go. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like hit me like, well, that's, my, man, I could worry about that too. You could worry about lots of things. So, so is there a difference between worried and, being worried and concerned? Okay, I see some heads nodding. So, so we get, there's kind of, we know there's a difference. Um, we're not necessarily going to try and define that this morning, but we do need to 
to, to, to each of us, like, start to question, where's the line for me from being concerned about some things and going into this stage of worry or even anxiety about some things? Because we're wrapping up our series today on adulting. And adulting in this series, we're looking at practical adulthood rooted in a relationship with God. And we've had some, some practical application in the areas of the last four weeks, in areas of our faith, in our finances, and our family, and our friends. Last week, we got into dating and marriage and relationships, and we got into some real practical uh, stuff about that. And then see, not only get the practical tools there, but what we find in the midst of this is that it's actually God who provides us the tools to become a healthy, functioning adult, our human, our person. And so that's where we're going to go a little bit deeper with in Matthew 6, 25 this morning. And this message is for everyone. And when I uh, have shared a few, with a few different people that we're doing this series, it's called Adulting, and given the idea of it, you know, God provides the tools to become a, a, a healthy, functioning adult. Like, oh, well, that's because you've got a bunch of young people. I'm like, well, this is for everybody. It's not just for, for people at a certain stage of life in college and young adults. This is for everyone. But, uh, but, but saying that, I also have encountered more and more uh, with, with students and, and young adults today that are more stressed than any time I can like put my finger on in history, like this, this I say your generation, but this generation is like has more higher anxiety about things. There's there's more. It's like it seems like there's a more of a worry that that's kind of developed here. Worry about the future. So our big idea is really this: time spent worrying is unproductive and unhealthy. You can choose not to worry and choose to trust God instead. That's where we're going to jump off. That's going to be our big idea. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But we're going to start with this reality that we all need to grab hold of, every one of us. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Now, I have a son named Niall. You guys, most of y'all know my three sons, Christian, Jericho, and Niall. Niall's the youngest. Niall has autism, and he's very high-functioning. Most people wouldn't even know he's got autism unless they spend just a few minute, more minutes lingering with him. Then you go, oh, there's something, something there. And so Niall had it in his mind that what he needed for Christmas was a giraffe. And some of y'all heard, heard that leading up to Christmas. You guys had, even had conversations with Niall out at the house about Niall was like, I want a giraffe for Christmas. And that's all he would talk about. My other son, you know, they would they give like a list starting in June, and they would start adding to this list. Niall started in June. He wants a giraffe, not a live one because they eat too much, a stuffed animal giraffe. Very, very, I'm glad he asked for that. And he asked for that. That's the only thing all through the whole like six months. That's all he asked for. He got you know, Santa Claus brought him more than the draft. But, he, but, but the thing was, I took him to buy his mom a Christmas present. I took my two youngest boys who went to Dollar General, went in, like, we're going to find something, fi- try to find something you think mom would like from you that we're going to buy from mom. We walk in, and there's this little ink cap with little stuffed animals. Niall sees a giraffe. He says, we need the giraffe. And I said, Niall, we're not getting something for you, for us. We're getting something that you are going to give to mommy for Christmas. Mommy needs a giraffe. I'm like, okay, let's get the giraffe, and we'll keep looking. And if we find something else that we think mom would like, mom would like better than the giraffe, we'll, we'll trade it. We need the giraffe. And he was like, we need this giraffe. I need a giraffe for Christmas. Mom needs a giraffe for Christmas. So did you put the picture up? Of the giraffe? There's a picture of mom's giraffe. There's mom's giraffe. And then the next picture is now got his giraffe for Christmas. Uh, finally, he got his giraffe. And he was, I mean, that picture... That's the face of a happy, happy person, happy boy right there. So what's the difference between a want and a need? Does anybody have a quick, like, you can just nail it. What's the difference between a want and a need? A want is 
to sustain life. Okay. I mean, a need is. Okay. A need is something you basically need to sustain life, and a want is something outside of that. That's a good, pretty good definition. We can kind of we can work with that. Um, good. So you can choose not to worry and trust God instead. And the first step is understanding that God knows what you need. That's the first step. No, understanding God knows what you need. Jesus says, "Don't worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food to dr- uh, food or drink or enough clothes, isn't life more than food and clothes and and stuff?" I mean, Jesus is like, isn't life more than this. Don't worry about all of these things. So he's continuing a thought, actually, that we looked at two weeks ago. And in verse 24, if we back up, he had said this, you cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. You can't serve both God and money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. He's making a clear distinction. If you're serving money, you're going to fall into this worry about everyday life. But if you will serve God... That is why I tell you, you don't have to worry about your everyday life because God knows you and God has your best interests at heart. God has your best interests at heart. Money doesn't. Money is just a thing. It's a tool that we should, we should use for what it's used for. But money doesn't have your best interests at heart, but God does. And then Jesus adds in verse 32, These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Sometimes I think we begin to think of God like a Santa Claus, right? Like, here's my list, God, or, or like, a, um, like a genie in the bottle. You know, that they're remaking Aladdin and Will Smith is going to be the genie, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does with it. But we kind of see God that way sometimes. Like, well, I got three wishes, and I only get three wishes, and I'll ask, I'll ask God for this, this, and this. And it's God's job, just he's just there to grant my every wish. Sometimes we, we see God in that, that way. Um, this is where we keep reminding ourselves that there's a difference between wants and needs. God knows what you need, but God also knows what you want. I mean, it's no surprise to him when you, when you give him, you say, here's what I want, God. But usually, God knows what we want because that's all we talk to him about, right? God, I want. Like our prayer life is like, God, dear God, would you please? Could you please? I want, I want, I want. And that's kind of what our prayer life is. I want this grade. I want this relationship. I, I want this job. I want this giraffe. You know, we make our, our prayer life about what we want. And God already knows that. And when God doesn't give us everything we want, the way we want it, we begin to doubt. And doubt can lead us to feel alone and, uh, and trying not to. Uh, we're trying to, to provide, but not just for what we want, but, but also for what we need. Like, we want to provide for what we need and also what we want. And sometimes we can begin to doubt God in this when he doesn't do what we want or what we think he should, the way, he, way we think he should do it. So, so we end up with this feeling of being alone, and we carry this load that leads to anxiety. That's where the worry comes in, and anxiety starts to hit us. The source of anxiety is a lack of trust in the one who's in control. And the solution to worry is to learn to trust God more. I didn't say that's like easy. It's like, oh, okay, learn to trust God more. Okay, that's a solution. I got it. You have to work at that. (laughs) It's called building faith. You learn to trust God more. And as you commit your life to God, you begin to take delight in the Lord and the desires of your heart change and become more like Jesus. There's a scripture that says, you know, trust the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's because you're trusting him. And your desires of your heart are becoming like things that he would have for you. And your trust in him will grow. God knows what you need. And you can choose not to worry and choose to trust him instead. And God cares for you more than you know. God cares more than you know. That's the next little thing I want to camp out in just for a minute. Because to most people, 
my son Niall's desire for a giraffe? Oh, that's a want. He said, I need it. And we, we hear that all the time. Like all of us who are parents, our kids have all said that at one point. Oh, I need it. I need that ball. I need that candy. I need that ice cream. I need it. And we know there's a difference between want and need. And here's the thing about Niall. I'm his daddy. And I know him just about better than anybody. Maybe mommy knows him a little better. I don't know. But I mean, I know him pretty well. And because he's so high-functioning, most people wouldn't notice he's autistic, but I see every subtle, little, distinct, unique, beautiful thing that makes Niall Niall. And I understood something when he said, I need this. He really did. Because for him, there's no line there. His, 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 his way of understanding the world is completely different. And I knew it was a need for Niall. So when he actually opened up that, that gift, and it, it came from his grandparents. Mama and Papa got him the giraffe, and they were there and opened it up. It was finally, he'd opened several other things first. He finally opened the giraffe. And I thought, very subtly, it didn't even come from me. But, I, but having orchestrated it, what does Niall want for Christmas? Oh, a giraffe. That's all. It's it. I knew, having orchestrated it, it was like me saying, how much do I love you? How much do I love you? How has God in his divine subtlety said to you, how much do I love you? Man, just think about it. God cares more than you know. Jesus says, can all our worries add a single moment to your life? And that's, that's a good statement right there. Hmm. He's on to something there because the reality is that worry doesn't, can't add a moment to your life. It actually steals moments from your life. Modern science actually confirmed this. that It says worry and anxiety shorten your lifespan. That's, that's modern science. That's not religion. Like Jesus had it right. Oh, huh, figure that. Jesus was right. Worry doesn't add to your life. It actually takes away from that. So God shows he cares because he provides for our needs. And here's how. Here's, there's a couple of ways, actually three ways, how God shows he cares and provides for our needs. The first one is work. That's the first way God shows he cares by providing for our needs. Well, how is that, how is that God providing if I have to work for it? You were created with a body and a mind. God created you with a body and a mind. That's a gift. You have a gift. You're capable of doing a number of things to earn money, to buy food and clothes and the things that are listed here in our scripture. And there's great pleasure, actually, in embracing work as a gift. I haven't always done that, but I've learned to, learned to embrace work as a gift from God and using your hands or your mind to earn a living. There, are many, uh, there may be times in life when you need a helping hand. That happens. Times when you're unable to work for one reason or another, right? God cares more than you know, which is why we have each other. It's why we have food pantries. It's why we have programs. Why we have free spaghetti at Front Street Marketplace tomorrow. Because every Monday they have all you can eat spaghetti for $6. Because of God's provision and an idea from Candace and John and their family, Awaken Church is making it free tomorrow night. It's only for this, this one week and we'll see how it goes. It's hopefully we're looking at something that we can do once a month going forward, but we got to have a test run. And the idea was mainly college students. There are so many hungry college students in our country. So there's got to be hungry college students in our community. So, hey, college students, and we put, there's flyers that's been out. Maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. Um, but whether you have a flyer or not, come tomorrow night from 6 to 8 and free spaghetti and uh It'll be pretty cool to hang out together too. But but these things are there for us. But 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 doesn't mean we don't have this gift of work. There's a difference between being unable to work and being unwilling to work. A very 
important difference. It's actually so important that it's included in the scripture. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Notice it says unwilling, not unable. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. But if you're able to work, but unwilling to, you're robbing yourself of inner peace, actually. You're robbing yourself of a gift that God's given you. And God gave you this gift of being able to work because He cares more than you know. The second gift He's given us because He does care for us is family. He gave us family. Family is another gift from God. And even even though there's no such thing as a perfect family, God desires to provide our needs through this gift. And God's family has been there for me. My family has been there for me physically, emotionally, sometimes even financially in times that have been very difficult. And it's been a blessing to be able to do that also for help my family when I can, when those moments have come and, and uh, be on the other side of that. 1 Timothy 5.8, the scriptures also speak about this. But those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe. Such people are worse than unbelievers. It's very interesting when you look at that because it's all based on love each other the way I have loved you, Jesus said. I've given you this commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. This falls right in with that. Again, there's a difference between want and can't. Family is designed to be a gift of God that, that, uh, to, to, prepare, to prepare us, to see us through life. God's given us this gift because He cares more than you know. And the other gift, there's a third one. There's so many more, but there's only three I want to mention. The third one is church. Church is a gift from God. Church is His, it's, it's not a building, it's a people. I don't know how many times we're going, to, we're going to say that. Probably as long as Awakened Church is a, is a church, we're going to say that. It's not a building. Even someday when Awakened Church has a building, it has a sign, maybe this is Awakened Church. Whenever that happens, we're still going to be like, this is not the church. This is the facility where the church gathers. Right now, Parkway Cinema is the facility where the church gathers, Awakened Church. But, but in this sense, church is really about being a family. And I, I've experienced this too. God cares for you more than you know by providing through your needs through the church family as well. Uh, absolutely. And this gift just blows me away that God has given us. He's given us the ability to work. He's given us family to care for us. And then He's given us this extra bonus family. It's like you get all of this. And here's the gravy on top. You get this other family that you get to do life with. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need and refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? It goes back again to Jesus' one commandment. Love each other the way I have loved you. So worry can't add a single moment to your life. And God does care for you more than you know. And he gives you the gift of learning to trust him through who he provides and what he provides and that you get to choose that's the, that's like the, the 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 big deal here you get to choose to accept the gifts of god you can choose not to worry or you can and you can choose to trust god instead and the last thing about this this, this section is god loves your personal growth God loves when we grow personally, we, when each one of us, when we grow spiritually, when we grow as people, when we grow to become more into the person He created us to be, when you become your true self. God loves that. 
So Jesus points out the birds, and he points out the lilies, right, the flowers. And then he says, uh, God feeds them. God clothes them. And the lilies of the field is just, they don't worry about their clothing. Look how beautiful they are. And then those birds, these are both things that live and grow. He's using these examples because these are things that grow. And Jesus is showing how much God loves seeing growth just being as the Creator intended. Just be as the Creator intended. And you will grow, and God loves to see that growth. But these living things also have a measure of responsibility. The birds, God feeds them. They don't have to plant. They don't have to harvest, but they got to go find it. they got to go dig, right? The early bird gets the worm, but he's got to go down and actually get the worm. He's got to fly. He's got to get on there. He's got to dig down and get it. So you actually have to get it, do, do, put forth some effort for, to get the food that God provides. So how much of your spiritual growth is God's responsibility and how much is your responsibility? It's not my job to tell you that. It's your job as a follower of Jesus to go, okay, God, I, I see that any spiritual growth that happen, happens because of you. But what's my part in this? Is, is it reading my Bible more? Is it spending more time in prayer? Is it, you know, is it, is it something that's not even a churchy thing that that's, could be a part of what you're leading me to do to grow in my own personal spiritual growth? What is my responsibility? Because don't worry does not mean lack of responsibility. When you hear this scripture, don't worry is not, doesn't mean, oh, there's no responsibility here. You still have to put forth your best effort. You still have to put in the work, but you trust God for the outcome. Adulting doesn't have to be filled with worry and anxiety. Actually, we find God provides the tools to become a functioning, healthy adult, which means you have your responsibilities. You own your responsibilities. You have the concern. You have concern when things deserve to have concern. But the life stealers, worry steals life. Anxiety steals life. They're left in your past. And the difference is what you're seeking. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God, above all else. You know the old song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all in its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, right? That's what this is. Seek God's kingdom above all else, and God will give you everything you need. To seek the kingdom of God is to awaken to the reality that time spent worrying is unproductive and unhealthy. Seeking the kingdom of God above all else is choosing to trust God. This has everything to do with who you are, and and God loves it when you take steps of growth as a person. Who you are is not your temporary role, but your forever identity. I'm going to say that again. For who you are is not your temporary role, but your forever identity. Because being a student is temporary. It shouldn't define you as a person, and neither should identifying yourself by your job or your career. That only describes what you do. Um, about 40 hours a week or maybe more. Who you are is who God created you to be with a focus on things which are eternal over the things which are temporary. So being a student, being a, 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 a pastor or a worker or uh, whatever your job is, that's, that's what you do. But who you are is who, what your identity is, who your identity is in Christ, your forever identity. So don't live your life focused on temporary things. Focus on what really matters now. Surround yourself with the gifts of God. Share the love of Jesus often. Give generously to those in need. This is adulting. As we learn to simply be, we're, we are more like Jesus in every moment. I want you to, to uh, close your eyes 
And I was going to read a, a passage of scripture, and, you, and it's probably going to come up on the screen, but I want to just do this a little differently. So close your eyes and just listen and let these words meet you wherever you are. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and it's from the message paraphrase of the scriptures. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry as a center of your life. So what is our next steps? Well, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So, Taking the next step, and each day this week, here's the the challenge. Ask God, where do you want my focus to be today? Each day this week, maybe start the day with this. Ask God, where do you want my focus to be today? Father, where do you want our focus to be? In this moment, in this day, where do you want our focus to be? Because Lord, we come to you, Lord, and we we bring to you, Lord, a, a bundle of our anxieties and worries and stresses. And we thank you that you spoke you have spoken to us and you say, Don't worry, don't fret. Instead, pray. And so we do. Right now, Lord, we bring our petitions, we bring our praises, and we would ask God that you would shape our worries into these prayers, letting you know our concerns. And Lord, we thank you that your promise is that before we know it, a sense of your wholeness, that everything working together for our good will come and settle us down. It is wonderful to see what happens when you, Jesus, displace worry at the center of our lives. Jesus, replace worry at the center of our lives. And we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA. to be from uh, Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. 
um, or it'll just come up on the screen if you want to just look up there as well. Isaiah is in the uh, what we call Old Testament of our Bible. He's one of the prophets who spoke forth the word of God to the people. And in this particular passage, he's speaking of the coming of one who would be called Messiah. It's Isaiah 53, beginning verse 4, he writes, Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. May the Lord uh, bless us with understanding as we look deeper in the scripture this morning. You guys can be seated. Thinking this morning about this passage and this kind of the theme we've been kind of tracking through in the day. We're kind of talking about evil and suffering in the world. And um, uh, look, it's like every week you can look at the news and kind of get get like, oh wow, there's something else has happened this week. And this this week there's actually some 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 top stories that happened. One was um, I'm I'm on Twitter and I follow a lot of people on Twitter and I've been on Twitter for a long time. And you'll get this this message on Twitter when somebody that you follow that hasn't tweeted for quite a while does, and the message will be, Quentin just tweeted for the first time in a long time. Go, go, see what he's, go see what's up. And uh, so on this particular day, I got a bunch of those messages like coming, like this, this person hasn't been on Twitter. Now they've posted. And I go and everybody's on Twitter complaining because Facebook and Instagram were down. And I'm like, what? So there's this, this idea of like, this is like suffering for some people. They're like, literally, they were suffering because Instagram was down and Facebook was down. But then you look at some other news, like I would call real news. And um, there's this thing that happened, it's kind of still still in the, in the air, called the bomb cyclone. You guys ever see the bomb cyclone on the, on, the, on the weather? Basically, the whole middle of our country, 700 million people or so, were hit by this big blizzard this week called a bomb cyclone and it's like ridiculous the the, the wind speeds and the snow that that fell and um, caused a lot of problems now I hate snow that would that I would really be suffering if it snowed a little bit but here's people who literally had like it's dangerous to go outside and if your power goes out oh well because the power company can't even go out right now it's like being in the middle of a hurricane only it's snow that's crazy then there was a story about this 11 year old girl named Nancy Eddins 11-year-old Nancy Eddins were inviting her friends at school to her birthday party. This made the news. And her friends ripped up the invitations in her face. Bullying. Suffering. Now her mom 
found uh, some people who thought that was worth giving her a nice birthday party, and they threw her a big shindig. And, uh, and, and so she actually had a good birthday, but she was bullied. Like, I can't even imagine being 11 years old and inviting my classmates and my friends to birthday, and they just laugh and rip it up in your face. can't imagine what she must feel like. And then we get the news early in the morning a couple of days ago. 49 people, now 50 as of today, have died, have lost their lives in a, a city called Christchurch, New Zealand, because of a hate crime. This, this, this guy went into these two Muslim mosques when it was time for worship and just started opening up fire. At least one guy. There's probably more. And it's just, it's, it just blows our minds as we hear about these things and like, well, that can never happen. Yet it happens almost on a weekly basis, right? Suffering. So the question is, if God is all good and if God is all powerful, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Think about it for a few minutes. We're going to give you a chance to, if you have an opinion or a thought, share it in just a second. Um, but there's a lot of big questions about God and about faith. A lot of big questions. That's like the whole idea behind this little series we're doing. Like, what, what about? That's the name of our series. What about science? We, we did that the last couple of weeks. What about science? What about creation and Big Bang Theory and evolution? And what about those questions? So we've gone there. We, we, we went down those paths. What about, what about hypocrisy? in the church? What about all the hypocrites? What about exclusivity? Is Jesus really the only way? And what about evil and suffering? And that's where we're going to go deeper today. If God is all powerful and if God is all good, why is there evil and suffering in the world? It's okay to have questions. Questions are how we grow. This is how, how faith grows, how we grow as people, as human beings. We grow when we have questions and we seek answers. And we need to remember in the midst of this, everybody's got a belief system. Everyone in here has got a belief system. It's probably everybody's belief system, even if we were all to say, well, my belief system is Christian, probably we all have a slight variations of that as well. But everyone, even if you're atheist or agnostic, you have a belief system. Even if you have a, like, I just kind of make up my own thing as I go, that's, you have a belief system. So everyone has a belief system. What we want to be is people who go where the evidence leads, not where we think it leads or where we hope it will lead. We want to actually go where the evidence leads. And that's where we've been tracking the last couple of weeks with science and, and, the, and uh, morality and, and, and design and, and the cosmos and all those questions that we've been looking at. And we want to do that again today as we go deeper into Isaiah 53. And we'll come back around to this passage in just a minute. And this, by, by the way, Isaiah 53 is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, what we call the New Testament is the story of Jesus and, and the early church, the followers of Jesus. This is like an, a foreshadowing, like the, what's going to happen when Jesus comes. So here's our big idea. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. So a couple of thoughts about that big idea that I want to camp out in. first one is, is pain is personal. Pain is very personal. I had a conversation just like a, two weeks ago with a, with a young friend. Um, actually, he's, some, he's, he's part of the Awakened Church family, but he never comes on weekends because he always goes home. But he comes during the midweek to our Bible studies that we have, like at Sonic um, and other things that we do. And um, we were having this conversation, and um, he was talking about his uncle. He said, please pray for my uncle and his family because my uncle is like, if there was ever like a perfect Christian, I know nobody's perfect, 
But my uncle, like, he loves everybody. He never says, you never hear him say anything negative about anybody. He always is there to help. No matter what anybody needs help with, he goes to help them. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's like laid all the list that we all make, right? We all have a list of all these things. And he's like, my uncle does, doesn't do any of this stuff, and he does all this stuff. And he's got throat cancer. And how are his kids going to handle that? How are they, how is the, they going to reconcile this fact that their dad, who is like this perfect example of a daddy, He's like, you know, nobody's perfect, but he's the closest that, that I've ever seen. And he's got throat cancer. Why? How are they going to understand this? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Or is that just one of those questions? Anybody have a thought? Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, so sometimes there's, there's testing and tribulations that go through life, that no matter what kind of person you are, you're gonna, you face some tests, you face tribulations. That's a good, good point. You learn and you learn lessons, yeah. Yeah, good. What else? Anybody else? There's a world full of flesh and evil. Yeah. Take part in bad things. Yeah, there is a world full of flesh and evil, and um, bad things will happen. You can take, and you take part in some of those, yeah. Okay, if there if there wasn't the bad the, the 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 bad in the world helps me be thankful for the good that's there. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, good stuff. I think it's important to understand that sometimes stuff just happens. Okay, yeah. It just happens sometimes. It's not like somebody orchestrated it or somebody made it happen. It just happens. Right. Yeah. Stuff just happens, and it's life. Life just life just happens, and um, yeah. So there there's that. I always hear this this phrase. Um, um, everything has a reason right everything has a reason and sometimes the reason is because I did something dumb or you did something dumb sometimes that's the reason it doesn't mean that God made it happen everything has a reason yeah but it doesn't mean it has to be and a lot of times like like Zach's saying man stuff just happens that's a definitely a part of all of this is a part of this conversation of how do bad things happen to good people you could also ask well why do good things happen to bad people <laughs> That happens too, right? So the question, what about evil and suffering? It's just not just like an academic question or a philosophical question. I feel like the last couple of weeks when we really were talking about the existence of God and, and how does science, the facts of science, um, fit in with the, our, our faith in God. And, and we found that, well, you can, you can have that. But at the same time, it's felt kind of academic. It's felt kind of philosophical. And this one's more personal, at least I feel like it is, because pain isn't just academic or philosophical. Pain is personal. So as followers of Jesus, we're taught, we're taught to see God as the creator, but not just a creator, right? Not just a force. He's a good, good father. We're taught to see God this way. And so for a lot of folks, many people will struggle right there at the very beginning of this because they don't understand what a good, good father is. They have no, 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 they're like the opposite of my friend's uncle who is a good, good father to his kids. It's like they have no example of a good, good father. So they're like, I don't, I can't. I can't rationalize that God's a good father. Maybe their father hurt them, or maybe their father was just absent. Our world's full of that right now, just absentee fathers that aren't there. And maybe they've, they've gotten hurt and never gotten over the hurt. And so there's this idea of, well, how can God love me if God's supposed to be a father? For some, life has been a series of losses, like there's been a whole series of losses where it just seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another, and then something else breaks down. Seriously? 
and you're like, God! Maybe you've been there. Or maybe you've known people, friends, family members who, who have been there, or been there like right now. Where's God when all this happens? Where's God in this cruel brokenness of life? That's the question. Where's God when all this happens? So often, what I'm finding is our beliefs are based on our personal pain. When we, what we believe about these situations, about life, and about where is God when it hurts, and why do, why do good things ha- bad things happen to good people, a lot of times our, our beliefs, our belief system, began to be based on personal pain. Because when they ask, you know, where is God? Uh, wh- if God is so good, then why is there suffering? And I begin to think, I may, I may not ask it out loud unless I have a good relationship with somebody, but, but I begin to think, why do you ask? What? Where are you suffering? Because you're not being philosophical here. There's something personal usually. There's a pain behind this because it's most likely personal pain behind that question. So the really big question is, where does evil and suffering come from? That's a really big question because every question that we've been asking leads to another question. There's always questions that open up more questions for us. So where does evil and suffering come from? I was listening to a, a pastor named Kerry Newhoff speak on this, and quite, actually quite a bit of the stuff I'm sharing today I kind of got from him, but this is, this is like a quote. Evil and suffering come from the paradox freedom creates. Evil and suffering comes from, comes from the paradox that freedom creates. So what does that mean? Let's, let's put it like this. God's in complete control, but God's not controlling. Does that make sense? God is in complete control, but He's not controlling. He allows us a spirit of freedom. And he does this because he wants us to have free will, because he wants us to love him. But love comes with a choice. You have to have the freedom to choose, because love only works if there's freedom. It does. Imagine, like, my little boys, and most of y'all a while ago saw they were tussling, and they were fighting and running, and they got in trouble and all that. And what happens is when they're, like, especially if they were younger, three years old, but, you know, six and seven, eight years old, you stop them and you say, okay, stop this right now. You hug your brother. You hug your sister. Tell them I love you. Now, if you have a three-year-old, you have brother and sister who are three and four years old, that'll work. You stop right now and you tell them I love you. But you try that with us, right? You stop. Tell that guy that cuts you off in the traffic and you're flipping him the bird and now he's, like, yelling back at you. Y'all stop. Get out of your car. Tell each other you love each other right now. No. Right? People, they were in a red hat and want to build a wall, and other people are, are very angry, and they're, they're like throwing stuff at them. Stop throwing stuff at each other. Come over here right now. You, you tell each other you love each other right now and hug each other. It's not going to work, is it? No. Because <laughs> we have to have a choice. Love is a choice. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to not love. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to hate. You're free to be selfish instead of selfless. You have that freedom. And in the same way you have the capacity for good, you have the capacity for bad. So evil and suffering come from this paradox that freedom causes. We're free to love and get along. We're free to accept everybody right where they are. But freedom means we also don't have to. We're free not to. And this is because God designed us with choice. He wants us to have that ability to choose Him and choose his path. So God doesn't want you to be forced into a relationship with him. He wants you to love him. So he wants you to choose him, which means you have the freedom not to choose him. That's where evil and suffering comes from, our freedom to choose. And by the way, this is not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. That's the next kind of 
thing I want to kind of hang out in a minute before we get back to Isaiah. It's, it's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. A, a very famous humanist named David Hume, who you may have heard of, he's from the 1700s. He is uh, this, this humanist who's quoted in a lot of textbooks now. And his main, like everything about his saying Christianity is, is uh, bogus comes from this way of thinking. He says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent, means not powerful. Is God able to prevent evil, but not willing? Then he's malevolent, evil. And then he says, is God both willing and able? Then why is there evil? There must not be this Christian God. He, so that's what's his, his way of coming around to. There must not be this. This Christianity is false. Must be, this doesn't exist. But it's not just on Christians. Every worldview has to answer for suffering. Every, every world. It's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. How do other belief systems account for evil and suffering? So let's talk about this for just a minute. And I'm no expert on these, um, but I do read a lot. <laughs> and I do know people that follow these paths. Um, versus, let's talk about Islam. Islam has this, this, and they have different, actually there's different strands of Islam. But with a main idea of Islam when it comes to suffering is you can overcome suffering by submission to a God who causes it and by detaching yourself from it. By by submitting yourself to a God who causes it. 50 people right now, this is their belief system. And I'm like, how are they actually wrapping their, their minds and their hearts around that belief system? Buddhism teaches that you can, you can transcend suffering through detachment. Like you just, you, just, you just detach yourself from all feeling. It's, a, it's this way of you kill desire. That's one of the ways of Buddhism. Kill desires. You no longer long for anything. You no longer like, have this longing for anything. And if you do this successfully, you experience something that's called nirvana. And when you get to nirvana, well, you're just detached from suffering. You don't feel it. Suffering doesn't, bother, doesn't touch you because you're detached from it. Hinduism teaches suffering is karma. So you can't interfere. This is karma. You can't interfere. You would say, why do good things happen to bad people? If you believe, if you believe in karma, you're not, you're not a good person. I mean, I said, why do bad things happen to good people? It wouldn't. With karma, if bad things happen to you, you're a bad person. That's, that's the understanding. You go to places like India where this is the main uh, religion and they have this caste system, which is basically these levels of, uh, you know, if you're lower class, you're never have a, you can never advance. They have, they're, they're saying, I don't, I don't speak the language, but it translates as, as it is written, so it shall be. In other words, it's karma puts you here. He made you born to this family, made you born in this neighborhood, and he put you in this area, the slums of India. This is where you live. This is where you exist. It's karma. It's suffering, and you know what? You can't do anything about it, and you're not supposed to. Naturalism, which is where we get evolutionary theory, says there is no God. Traditional evolutionary theory, there's no God. We're, we're just here by random chance. So there's no meaning to life. If there's no, there's no creator, there's no God, then there's no meaning to this. So if there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose in suffering. That would be the, the, the naturalism way of looking at this. There's no purpose in suffering. If it happens to you, you know what? It's about survival of the fittest. If it helps you survive, embrace it. Add to it if it helps you get stronger. That would be the, the, the theory of naturalism. New Age says, uh, New Age thinking is positive thinking defeats negative reality. Positive thinking defeats negative reality. That's the New Age way of thinking. But the breakup didn't go away. The pain is still there. Positive thinking didn't fix poverty. 
positive thinking so far hasn't fixed the clean drinking water situation that many in our world are, are facing. Positive thinking so far hasn't saved anybody from human trafficking, which is a huge problem in our culture. What's interesting is all the subtle ways we pick this up. And you probably already, like, have you not, you can kind of hear some of these things. I'm thanking the universe today for the good vibes. Imagine your pain, it just, just, it just will go away. Ignore it, ignore it, and imagine it's gone. Think happy thoughts. Now, there's nothing wrong. This is not bad advice. I'm not saying anything's are wrong to say. I mean, I, I, yeah, I want you to think happy positive you know if you have vibes at all i hope they're good ones you know i'm like these are good things but none of these things actually speak to the real evil and suffering in our world isaiah 53 is all about in jesus god embraces our suffering god embraces our suffering this creator who gave us freedom to do as we will And because we have this freedom, suffering comes out of it. Evil comes out of it. This same God embraces that in us, for us, in Jesus. So Jesus answered suffering by embracing it. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of evil. Words, actions, private messages. I know what it's like, emails. I know what it's like to suffer through painful breakups. I know what it's like to suffer through being misunderstood and stabbed in the back. I know what it feels like to experience deep wounds due to hypocrisy of others. Yes, even in church. And yes, next week we're going to talk about that deeper, that question. Here's the thing. This is personal. It's been during these seasons of deepest pain that I've experienced the deeper spiritual growth. That's been my reality. That's not something I heard somebody else say. It's not something I picked up here. That's just my experience. It's been during seasons of the deepest pain that I've experienced the most growth as a person, and especially spiritually. When have you grown the most? When life is easy or when there was some suffering, when there was some, some pain, when it, was, when, it, when it was a struggle? When have you grown the most? It says in in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. In Jesus, God embraced our suffering. There's an interesting quote I found. Ravi Zechariah said, It's not coincidental that the very word excruciating literally means out of the cross. We talk about when we experience excruciating pain. That word excruciating literally means out of the cross. So we all ask ask the why questions, right? Why, why, why? We all want a reason for our suffering. And in Christianity, we don't so much have a, a reason for the suffering. What we have is a redemption of our suffering. We have a redemption. Jesus offers redemption of our suffering. Jesus comes and says, I know they're suffering. Would you give it to me? I'll be oppressed for you. I'll be treated harshly on your behalf. And it says here that he never said a word. When you invite Jesus into your suffering, he redeems it into something good. He redeems it into something great. He redeems it in some some learning experience, some growth experience. After Jesus resurrected and ascended to to heaven, one of his followers, who actually was against him for a long time, whose name was Saul, 
Um, name later changed to Paul, wrote a lot of letters that ended up being what we call the New Testament. One of these followers of Jesus named Paul, this guy, wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since, we are, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus answered our suffering by embracing it. This God who, who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering. Because suffering, suffering never leaves you neutral. Suffering never leaves neutral. It, it, you either move closer to God or, cl- or further away from God through suffering. And this writer said, through my suffering, I'm drawn closer to God. My own experience, I'm brought closer to God. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? It's interesting we would kind of be on this topic today, St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Patrick, Saint, the one now we call St. Patrick, that his name was originally Maywin. And Maywin was a, a, a born in what's called Roman Britain, which is still under the Roman Empire, but it was Britain. It was British. And he was born there. And this is the fourth century. So it's been a minute. And Maywin, when he was 16 years old, he writes in his own autobiography, was kidnapped by pirates that took him to Ireland. So basically what today we call human trafficking, he was taken and trafficked, and he was, had, was forced labor as a shepherd. And for six years in Ireland, he, he was a slave. And he managed to escape. And he escaped and he went back home. When he got back to his homeland, he began to study um, to, to go into the clergy. And when he did, he found this love for Jesus, and he had a vision, and this vision was basically, he, it was, you know, a man told him, but it was God saying, go back. To embrace your suffering, to invite God into your suffering, and go back to the place where you were trafficked to, where you were, where you were forced as child labor or teenage labor. You were forced to, to serve there as a slave. Go back there and spread the gospel. And history shows that thousands of people, that the landscape, the, the spiritual landscape of Ireland changed due to Patrick, when he changed his name to Patrick. Thousands of people came to Christ. Thousands of people were baptized by Patrick in Ireland. Now, before this, Ireland was known as kind of a pagan druid. I mean, you probably know about Celtic stuff because you guys all are into studying and reading. I know that. And so before Patrick... It was, it was deep, and it was what we would call dark. They didn't see a difference between dark and light. Patrick came and showed them the light of Christ. And, uh, and you can't call it a revival because they didn't have the, the life first. It was, a, it, was, it was something amazing began to happen. 
All because Patrick invited God into his suffering. And he went back. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? So our next steps. This week, think about how you handle pain. How you handle suffering in your life and in the lives of your loved ones. And instead of letting it create distance between you and God, ask him, God, I want to come closer to you. Come closer to God, the God who embraced your suffering. Because the God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What I want to do is I'm going to have the guys come up. We're going to sing another song or something and just have a little time. of. We always want to end with worship. And um, maybe as we sing, this is an opportunity for all of us just to go, not just sing a song or listen as other people sing, but, but to invite God into our suffering or our pain whatever that may be. Or maybe there's someone that's a loved one, a friend of ours, a family member, who right now has got something, a disease or, or a situation, a financial burden, something that's just absolutely wrecking them. Maybe on their behalf. You say, God, I want to draw close to you on their behalf in this moment. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that um, but if we're understanding not just the words of the Scripture, but the reality of the relationship that we experience with you, that um, you've embraced suffering through Christ. And uh, we still have why questions, and we still wrestle with that, that free will thing and trying to understand. But Lord, maybe we just need to draw close to you, that you would make us stronger, that you would make us he- more healed more human that you make us more like our true selves that we'd be filled with you and your healing so Lord in this moment as we sing or listen maybe we'll stand or sit or kneel or just walk around for a minute and let ourselves draw close to you we invite you Lord into our suffering we invite you into our grief into our pain. Because it's only when you come and invade that suffering with your love will we find it becomes healed. In Jesus' name, amen. going to be from uh, Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, um, or it'll just come up on the screen if you want to just look up there as well. Isaiah is in the, uh, what we call Old Testament of our Bible. He's one of the prophets who spoke forth the Word of God to the people. And in this particular passage, he's speaking of the coming of one who would be called Messiah. It's Isaiah 53, beginning verse 4, he writes, Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried, 
it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. May the Lord uh, bless us with understanding as we look deeper in the scripture this morning. You guys can be seated. Thinking this morning about this passage and just kind of the theme we've been kind of tracking through in the day, we're kind of talking about evil and suffering in the world. And um, uh, look, it's like every week you can look at the news and kind of get get like, oh wow, there's something else has happened this week. And this this week there's actually some 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 top stories that happened. One was um, I'm I'm on Twitter and I follow a lot of people on Twitter and I've been on Twitter for a long time. And you'll get this this message on Twitter when somebody that you follow that hasn't tweeted for quite a while does, and the message will be, Quentin just tweeted for the first time in a long time. Go, go, see what he's, go see what's up. And uh, so on this particular day, I got a bunch of those messages like coming, like this person hasn't been on Twitter. Now they've posted. And I go and everybody's on Twitter complaining because Facebook and Instagram were down. And I'm like, what? So there's this, this idea of like, this is like suffering for some people. They're like, literally, they were suffering because Instagram was down and Facebook was down. But then you look at some other news, like I would call real news. And um, there's this thing that happened, and it's kind of still still in the, in the air, called the bomb cyclone. You guys ever see the bomb cyclone on the, on, the, on the weather? Basically, the whole middle of our country, 700 million people or so, were hit by this big blizzard this week called a bomb cyclone and it's like ridiculous the 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 wind speeds and the snow that that fell and um, caused a lot of problems now i hate snow that would that i would really be suffering if it snowed a little bit but here's people who literally had like it's dangerous to go outside and if your power goes out oh well because the power company can't even go out right now it's like being in the middle of a hurricane only it's snow that's crazy then there was a story about this 11 year old girl named nancy eddins 11-year-old Nancy Eddins were inviting her friends at school to her birthday party. This made the news. And her friends ripped up the invitations in her face, bullying, suffering. Now, her mom found uh, some people who thought that was worth giving her a nice birthday party, and they threw her a big shindig. And, uh, and, and so she actually had a good birthday, but she was bullied. Like, I can't even imagine being 11 years old and inviting my classmates and my friends to birthday, and they just laugh and rip it up in your face. can't imagine what she must feel like. And then we get the news early in the morning a couple days ago. 49 people, now 50 as of today, have died, have lost their lives in a, a city called Christchurch, New Zealand, because of a hate crime. 
This, this, this guy went into these two Muslim mosques when it was time for worship and just started opening up fire. At least one guy. There's probably more. And it's just, it's, it just blows our minds as we hear about these things. And like, well, that can never happen. Yet it happens almost on a weekly basis, right? Suffering. So the question is, if God is all good and if God is all powerful, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Think about it for a few minutes. We're going to give you a chance to, if you have an opinion or a thought, share it in just a second. Um, But there's a lot of big questions about God and about faith. A lot of big questions. That's like the whole idea behind this little series we're doing. Like, what what about? That's the name of our series. What about science? We, We did that the last couple of weeks. What about science? What about creation and Big Bang Theory and evolution? And what about those questions? So we've gone there. We 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 went down those paths. What about what about hypocrisy? in the church? What about all the hypocrites? What about exclusivity? Is Jesus really the only way? And what about evil and suffering? And that's where we're going to go deeper today. If God is all powerful and if God is all good, why is there evil and suffering in the world? It's okay to have questions. Questions are how we grow. This is how how faith grows, how we grow as people, as human beings. We grow when we have questions and we seek answers. And we need to remember in the midst of this, everybody's got a belief system. Everyone in here has got a belief system. It's probably everybody's belief system, even if we were all to say, well, my belief system is Christian, probably we all have a slight variations of that as well. But everyone, even if you're atheist or agnostic, you have a belief system. Even if you have a, like, I just kind of make up my own thing as I go, that's, you have a belief system. So everyone has a belief system. What we want to be is people who go where the evidence leads, not where we think it leads or where we hope it will lead. We want to actually go where the evidence leads. And that's where we've been tracking the last couple of weeks with science and, and, and uh, morality and, and, and design and, and the cosmos and all those questions that we've been looking at. And we want to do that again today as we go deeper into Isaiah 53. And we'll come back around to this passage in just a minute. And this, by by the way, Isaiah 53 is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, If you're familiar with the Bible, what we call the New Testament is the story of Jesus and and the early church, the followers of Jesus. This is like a foreshadowing, like what's going to happen when Jesus comes. So here's our big idea. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. So a couple of thoughts about that big idea that I want to camp out in. First one is, is pain is personal. Pain is very personal. I had a conversation just like a two weeks ago with a, with a young friend. Um, actually, he's, some, he's, he's part of the Awakened Church family, but he never comes on weekends because he always goes home. But he comes during the midweek to our Bible studies that we have, like at Sonic um, and other things that we do. And um, we were having this conversation, and um, he was talking about his uncle. He said, please pray for my uncle and his family because my uncle is like, if there was ever like a perfect Christian, I know nobody's perfect, but my uncle, like, he loves everybody. He never says, you never hear him say anything negative about anybody. He always is there to help. No matter what anybody needs help with, he goes to help them. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's like laid all the list that we all make, right? We all have a list of all these things. And he's like, my uncle does, doesn't do any of this stuff, and he does all this stuff. And he's got throat cancer. And how are his kids going to handle that? How are they, how is the, how are they going to reconcile this fact that their dad, who is like this perfect example of a daddy, He's like, nobody's perfect, but he's the closest that that I've ever seen. And he's got throat cancer. Why? How are they going to understand this? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Or is that just one of those questions? Anybody have a thought? Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Okay, so sometimes there's there's testing and tribulations that go through life. That no matter what kind of person you are, you're gonna you face some tests, you face tribulations. That's a good good point. You learn and you learn lessons. Yeah, yeah, good. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, there is a world full of flesh and evil, and um, bad things will happen. You can take and you take part in some of those. Yeah. If there was nothing bad, you wouldn't be thankful for Okay. If there if there wasn't the bad, the, the 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 bad in the world helps me be thankful for the good that's there. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, good stuff. I think it's important to understand that sometimes stuff just happens. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stuff just happens. And it's life. Life just life just happens. And um, yeah, so there, there's that. I always hear this this phrase. Um, um, the, everything has a reason. Right. Everything has a reason. And sometimes the reason is because I did something dumb or you did something dumb. Sometimes that's the reason. It doesn't mean that God made it happen. Everything has a reason. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it has to be. And a lot of times, like, like Zach's saying, man, stuff just happens. That's a definitely a part of, all of this is a part of this conversation of how do bad things happen to good people. You could also ask, well, why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> that happens too, right? So the question, what about evil and suffering? It's just not just like an academic question or a philosophical question. I feel like the last couple of weeks when we really were talking about the existence of God and, and how does science, the facts of science, um, fit in with the, our, our faith in God. And, and we found that, well, you can, you can have that. But at the same time, it's felt kind of academic. It's felt kind of philosophical. And this one's more personal. At least I feel like it is because pain isn't just academic or philosophical. Pain is personal. So as followers of Jesus, we're taught, we're taught to see God as the creator, but not just a creator, right? Not just a force. He's a good, good father. We're taught to see God this way. And so for a lot of folks, many people will struggle right there at the very beginning of this because they don't understand what a good, good father is. They have no, 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 they're like the opposite of my friend's uncle who is a good, good father to his kids. It's like they have no example of a good, good father. So they're like, I don't, I can't. I can't rationalize that God's a good father. Maybe their father hurt them, or maybe their father was just absent. Our world's full of that right now, just absentee fathers that aren't there. And maybe they've, they've gotten hurt and never gotten over the hurt. And so there's this idea of, well, how can God love me if God's supposed to be a father? For some, life has been a series of losses, like there's been a whole series of losses where it just seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another, and then something else breaks down. Seriously? And you're like, God! Maybe you've been there, or maybe you've known people, friends, family members who, who have been there, or been there like right now. Where's God when all this happens? Where's God in this cruel brokenness of life? That's the question. Where's God when all this happens? So often what I'm finding is our beliefs are based on our personal pain. When we, but what we believe about these situations, about life, and about where is God when it hurts, and why do, why do good things ha- bad things happen to good people, a lot of times our, our beliefs, our belief system, began to be based on personal pain. Because when they ask, you know, where is God? Uh, wh- if God is so good, then why is there suffering? And I begin to think, I may, I may not ask it out loud but unless I have a good relationship with somebody, but, but I begin to think, why do you ask? What, 
where are you suffering? Because you're not being philosophical here. There's something personal usually. There's a pain behind this because it's most likely personal pain behind that question. So the really big question is, where does evil and suffering come from? That's a really big question because every question that we've been asking leads to another question. There's always questions that you open up more questions for us. So where does evil and suffering come from? I was listening to a, a pastor named Kerry Newhoff speak on this, and quite, actually quite a bit of the stuff I'm sharing today I kind of got from him. But this is, this is like a quote. Evil and suffering come from the paradox freedom creates. Evil and suffering comes from, comes from the paradox that freedom creates. So what does that mean? Let's, let's put it like this. God's in complete control, but God's not controlling. Does that make sense? God is in complete control, but he's not controlling. He allows us a spirit of freedom. And he does this because he wants us to have free will, because he wants us to love him. He, but love comes with a choice. You have to have the freedom to choose, because love only works if there's freedom. It does. Imagine, like my little boys, most of y'all a while ago saw there was tussling and there was fighting and running and they got in trouble and all that. And what happens is when they're like, especially if they were younger, three years old, but you know, six and seven, eight years old, you stop them and you say, okay, stop this right now. You hug your brother, you hug your sister, tell them I love you. Now, if you have a three-year-old, you have brother and sister who are three and four years old, that'll work. You stop right now and you tell them I love you. But you try that with us, Right? You stop. Tell that guy that cuts you off in the traffic and you're flipping him the bird and now he's like yelling back at you. Y'all stop. Get out of your car. Tell each other you love each other right now. No. Right? People, with, they were in a red hat and want to build a wall and other people are, are very angry and they're, they're like throwing stuff at them. Stop throwing stuff at each other. Come over here right now. You, you tell each other you love each other right now and hug each other. It's not going to work, is it? No. Because <laughs> we have to have a choice. Love is a choice. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to not love. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to hate. You're free to be selfish instead of selfless. You have that freedom. And in the same way you have the capacity for good, you have the capacity for bad. So evil and suffering come from this paradox that freedom causes. We're free to love and get along. We're free to accept everybody right where they are. But freedom means we also don't have to. We're free not to. And this is because God designed us with choice. He wants us to have that ability to choose Him and choose His path. So God doesn't want you to be forced into a relationship with Him. He wants you to love Him. So He wants you to choose Him, which means you have the freedom not to choose Him. That's where evil and suffering comes from, our freedom to choose. And by the way, this is not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. That's the next kind of... I want to just kind of hang out in a minute before we get back to Isaiah. It's, it's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. A, a very famous humanist named David Hume, who you may have heard of, he's from the 1700s. He is uh, this, this humanist who's quoted in a lot of textbooks now. And his main, like everything about his saying Christianity is, is uh, bogus comes from this way of thinking. He says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent, means not powerful. Is God able to prevent evil, but not willing? Then he's malevolent, evil. And then he says, is God both willing and able? Then why is there evil? There must not be this Christian God. He, so that's what's his, his way of coming around to. There must not be this, this Christianity is false. Must be, this doesn't exist. But it's not just on Christians. Every worldview has to answer for suffering. Every, every worldview. It's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. 
How do other belief systems account for evil and suffering? So let's talk about this for just a minute. And I'm no expert on these, um, but I do read a lot. <laughs> and I do know people that follow these paths. Um, versus, let's look about Islam. Islam has this, this, and they have different, actually there's different strands of Islam, but with a main idea of Islam when it comes to suffering is you can overcome suffering by submission to a God who causes it and by detaching yourself from it. By, by submitting yourself to a God who causes it. 50 people right now, this is their belief system. And I'm like, how are they actually wrapping their, their minds and their hearts around that belief system? Buddhism teaches that you can you can transcend suffering through detachment like you just you just you just detach yourself from all feeling it's a it's this way of you kill desire that's one of the ways of buddhism kill desires you no longer long for anything you no longer like have this longing for anything and if you do this successfully you experience something's called nirvana and when you get to nirvana well you're just detached from suffering you don't feel it suffering doesn't doesn't touch you because you're detached from it Hinduism teaches suffering is karma, so you can't interfere. It's karma. You can't interfere. You would say, why do good things happen to bad people? If you believe, if you believe in karma, you're not, you're not a good person. I mean, I said, why do bad things happen to good people? They wouldn't. With karma, if bad things happen to you, you're a bad person. That's, that's the understanding. You go to places like India where this is the main uh, religion and they have this caste system, which is basically these levels of, uh, you know, if you're lower class, you're never have a, you can never advance. They have, they're, they're saying, I don't, I don't speak the language, but it translates as, as it is written, so it shall be. In other words, karma puts you here. He made you born to this family, made you born in this neighborhood, and he put you in this area, the slums of India. This is where you live. This is where you exist. It's karma. It's suffering, and you know what? You can't do anything about it, and you're not supposed to. Naturalism, which is where we get evolutionary theory, says there is no God. Traditional evolutionary theory, there's no God. We're, we're just here by random chance. So there's no meaning to life. If there's no, there's no creator, there's no God, then there's no meaning to this. So if there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose in suffering. That would be the, the, the naturalism way of looking at this. There's no purpose in suffering. If it happens to you, you know what? It's about survival of the fittest. If it helps you survive, embrace it. Add to it if it helps you get stronger. That would be the, the, the theory of naturalism. New Age says, uh, New Age thinking is positive thinking defeats negative reality. Positive thinking defeats negative reality. That's the New Age way of thinking. But the breakup didn't go away. The pain is still there. Positive thinking didn't fix poverty. poverty positive think, thinking so far hasn't fixed the clean drinking water situation that many in our world are, are facing. Positive thinking so far hasn't saved anybody from human trafficking which is a huge problem in our culture. What's interesting is all the subtle ways we pick this up. And you probably already, like, have you not, you can kind of hear some of these things. I'm thanking the universe today for the good vibes. Imagine your pain, it just, just, it just will go away. Ignore it, ignore it, and imagine it's gone. Think happy thoughts. No, there's nothing wrong. This is not bad advice. I'm not saying any things are wrong to say. I mean, I, I, yeah, I want you to think positive. You know, if you have vibes at all, I hope they're good ones. You know, I'm like, these are good things. But none of these things actually speak to the real evil and suffering in our world. Isaiah 53 is all about 
in Jesus, God embraces our suffering. God embraces our suffering. This creator who gave us freedom to do as we will, and because we have this freedom, suffering comes out of it, evil comes out of it. This same God embraces that in us, for us, in Jesus. So Jesus answered suffering by embracing it. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of evil words, actions, private messages. I know what it's like, emails. I know what it's like to suffer through painful breakups. I know what it's like to suffer through being misunderstood and stabbed in the back. I know what it feels like to experience deep wounds due to hypocrisy of others. Yes, even in church. And yes, next week we're going to talk about that deeper, that question. Here's the thing. This is personal. It's been during these seasons of deepest pain that I've experienced the deeper spiritual growth. That's been my reality. That's not something I heard somebody else say. It's not something I picked up here. That's just my experience. It's been during seasons of the deepest pain that I've experienced the most growth as a person, and especially spiritually. When have you grown the most? When life is easy or when there was some suffering? when there was some, some pain, when it, was, when, it, when it was a struggle. When have you grown the most? It says in, in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. In Jesus, God embraced our suffering. There's a, an interesting quote I found. Ravi Zechariah said, It's not coincidental that the very word excruciating literally means out of the cross. When we talk about, man, we experience excruciating pain. That word excruciating literally means out of the cross. So we all ask the, ask the why questions, right? Why, why, why? We all want a reason for our suffering. And in Christianity, we don't so much have a, a reason for the suffering. What we have is a redemption of our suffering. We have a redemption. Jesus offers redemption of our suffering. Jesus comes and says, I know their suffering. Would you give it to me? I'll be oppressed for you. I'll be treated harshly on your behalf. And it says here that he never said a word. When you invite Jesus into your suffering, he redeems it into something good. He redeems it into something great. He redeems it in some, some learning experience, some growth experience. After Jesus resurrected and ascended to, to heaven, one of his followers, who actually was against him for a long time, whose name was Saul, um, name later changed to Paul, wrote a lot of letters that ended up being what we call the New Testament. One of these followers of Jesus named Paul, this guy, wrote this in Romans chapter 5. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since, we are, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son, 
while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus answered our suffering by embracing it. This God who who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? Because suffering suffering never leaves you neutral. Suffering never leaves neutral. You either move closer to God or or further away from God through suffering. And this writer said, through my suffering, I'm drawn closer to God. My own experience, I'm brought closer to God. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? It's interesting we would kind of be on this topic today, St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Patrick, Saint, the one now we call St. Patrick, that his name was originally Maywin. And Maywin was a, a, a born in what's called Roman Britain, which is still under the Roman Empire, but it was Britain. It was British. And he was born there. And this is the 4th century, so it's been a minute. And Maywin, when he was 16 years old, he writes in his own autobiography, was kidnapped by pirates that took him to Ireland. So basically what today we call human trafficking, he was taken and trafficked, and he was, had, was forced labor as a shepherd. And for six years in Ireland, he, he was a slave. And he managed to escape. And he escaped and he went back home. When he got back to his homeland, he began to study um, to, to go into the clergy. And when he did, he found this love for Jesus. And he had a vision. And this vision was basically, he, it was, you know, a man told him, but it was God saying, go back. To embrace your suffering. To invite God into your suffering. And go back to the place where you were trafficked to, where you were, where you were forced as child labor or teenage labor. You were forced to, to serve there as a slave. Go back there and spread the gospel. And history shows that thousands of people, that the landscape, the, the spiritual landscape of Ireland changed due to Patrick. When he changed his name to Patrick. Thousands of people came to Christ. Thousands of people were baptized by Patrick in Ireland. Now, before this, Ireland was known as kind of a pagan druid. I mean, you probably know about Celtic stuff because you guys all are into studying and reading. I know that. And so before Patrick, it was, it was deep and it was what we would call dark. They didn't see a difference between dark and light. Patrick came and showed them the light of Christ. And, uh, and you can't call it a revival because they didn't have the, the life first. It was, a, it, was, it was something amazing began to happen. All because Patrick invited God into his suffering. And he went back. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? So our next steps. This week, think about how you handle pain, how you handle suffering in your life and in the lives of your loved ones. And instead of letting it create distance between you and God, ask him, God, I want to come closer to you. Come closer to God, the God who embraced your suffering. Because the God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What I want to do is I'm going to have the guys come up. We're going to sing another song or something and just have a little time. of. We always want to end with worship. And um, maybe as we sing, this is an opportunity for all of us just to go, not just sing a song or listen as other people sing, but, but to invite God into our suffering or our pain, whatever that may be. 
Or maybe there's someone that's a, a loved one, a friend of ours, a family member, who right now has got something, a disease or, or a situation, a financial burden, something that's just absolutely wrecking them. Maybe on their behalf. He said, God, I want to draw close to you on their behalf in this moment. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that um, Lord, if we're understanding not just the words of the Scripture, but the reality of the relationship that we experience with you, that um, you've embraced suffering through Christ. And uh, we still have why questions, and we still wrestle with that, that free will thing and trying to understand. But Lord, maybe we just need to draw close to you, that you would make us stronger, that you would make us more healed, more human, that you would make us more like our true selves, that we'd be filled with you and your healing. So Lord, in this moment, as we sing or listen, may we stand or sit or kneel or just walk around for a minute and let ourselves draw close to you. We invite you, Lord, into our suffering. We invite you into our grief, into our pain. Because it's only when you come and invade that suffering with your love will we find it becomes healed. In Jesus' name, amen.